the volume. The Sessions podcast is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to bet the action than on FanDuel Sportsbook during the football season. Let me tell you a few reasons why. First of all, they are America's number one sports book. Duh. Uh, it's super easy to use. It's safe and secure. No tomfoolery. Fast payouts. As quick as two hours. And there's also so many different betting types. You know, there's same game parlay bets, live betting, player props, features, you name it. We got it over here. I mean, there's risk-free bets, enhanced odds markets, so much more. It's all here, all in one app, all in one place. The fast payouts and the safe and security. I mean, come on. Now, guys, if you're new, you just have to download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and get started right now. Sign up with the promo code Renee, that's R-E-N-E-E, so they know that your girl sent ya. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER. Or visit FanDuel.com slash RG for Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369 for New York. Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. Hello, everybody. Happy Thursday. If you're listening to this on a Thursday, which is the day that it drops. Did that sound like the Beastie Boys? Not even a little bit? Great. This is the Sessions. Hopefully you guys enjoyed my my interview with Charles Barkley. That came out on Tuesday. Feel free to go back and give that a listen if you did not get to hear it. It's cool getting to branch out and talk to some other people outside the world of wrestling. I mean, obviously wrestling is like my shit. But it's cool to, you know, talk to other people from different walks of life, especially when they're freaking Hall of Famers like Charles Barkley. So check that one out. Also, did you guys see my new shirt with the volume? Just go to thevolume.com. It's all up on there. You can click the, there's like a tab with a little drop down for the merch and you can find all the session stuff on there. But there's one with my face on it with a little Bowie tribute with the the lightning bolt across the face. I really liked how that one turned out. And then on the back of it is, it's like a tour date kind of shirt, but it's like, you know, some cool guests that have been on the show where they're billed from the date of the episode, all that. Um, So check that out. It's on my Instagram too, if you wanted to see it there. But anyways, today on this episode, I got to hang out with Kyle O. Riley, cool Kyle. That's who this guy is. You know, it's funny because with Kyle and I, we know each other, obviously, but like we don't know, know each other. We never really got to spend all that much time together. Our paths had crossed here and there and, you know, we've met each other, obviously, but yeah, we never really got to spend too much time like actually getting to know each other or really get into any good Canada talk. I feel like that's just like the thing, you know, us Canadians love each other. We like to fly together. No doubt about that. So anyways, you guys get to really hear sort of the first real hangout between uh, me and Kyle O'Reilly. It's funny, I feel like as soon as we like got off the Zoom, I think I might have said about 15 times, what a sweet man he is. Sweet Kyle. Sweet, sweet man. A violent man. Don't get me wrong. He's a fucking violent man and never forget that. But he's also very sweet. Anyways, guys, let's just get into it. Um, Here he is. Here's Kyle O'Reilly. 
so happy that this is happening. How are you doing? Me too. I'm good, Renee. How are you doing? Really good. Thanks for having me on the sessions. Oh my God. No, thank you for being on the sessions. I wish that we could have done this like forever ago, but you're a busy guy. I mean, between your contract ending at WWE to you joining AEW, then you have a baby. Like, have you even like had a second to take in what has happened in the last like six months in your life? It's really been a whirlwind these last six months. Since the baby's come, I've been off work for a few weeks and am off for a few more weeks. So it's kind of been the first chance for me to just take a breath and, you know, smell the roses a little bit. I'm so grateful for how fortunate I am and everything seems to be coming up, Kyle. (laughs) Yay. I know. Honestly, like legit much to uh, Orange Cassidy's chagrin sucker. Um, No, do you feel like you're actually taking time to smell the roses though? Because as much as like, and I mean, John and I can kind of attest to that as well. When like, when he took time off and I had Nora, that it's like, oh, okay, cool. We're going to like hunker down as a family for a second and like figure some stuff out. But it's like, everything is new. We knew nothing about babies. Did you know what you were getting into? Nothing. My (laughs) baby experience is little to zero. So like, like just holding the baby at first was scary experience. So scary. Like I felt like I was going to break her in half. Like she was just this delicate little thing and I'm trying to hold her so gently. And the nurse is like, you need to hold her a little gusto. Like, you know, (laughs) use the backbone a bit and just they're a little more durable than we give them credit for. And so I'm getting more of a grasp on handling her now and changing her and, and calming her down. But she's like legit only 17 days old. We had our second uh, pediatric appointment today. I'm not really getting much time to smell the roses, but I, I am to a certain degree in this business. Like you get a week off and it feels like a lifetime, right? That's actually true. Yeah. A week off is a little bit like, okay, like not that I know from this, but I can speak from a secondhand experience of like, all right, body's feeling a little bit better. Maybe you start watching some old wrestling videos, like things that you haven't really had time for all those things. Um, talk to me about little Janie though. What has she been like? What is it like being a dad? Has it hit you yet? Did it hit you right away or did it take a second? No, it, it hit me right away. Just a wave of emotion. Like we named her Janie after my mother who passed away in 2017 and she wanted to be a granny more than anything else. And so it was kind of our way to, to honor her legacy and, and to show tribute to her. And now it, the name is just so perfect. Like I can't imagine any other name for her and it's, she's just so amazing. And I just, I, I'm loving being a dad and it's something I've always really wanted to be. I've always wanted to have a little girl and I don't know. Now that it's finally happened, it, it's really special. It really is surreal. And like, especially once, like once you really start seeing their little baby personalities come out and you can see, like, even for me, um, it's funny. I, Becky Lynch was over here the other day and she's like, oh, I see some of your mom in her. And I was like, oh my, I, of course, I tell my mom this and she's like, oh my God, amazing. Like everyone wants to like have that little moment, but it's really cool when you see different family members in your baby and you can see your family's bloodline with like your wife's family. It's, it's just such a trip to see. Um, and I love that you named your baby after your mom. I think that's really, really cool. I was doing like, um, I was doing a little bit of a deep dive before we hopped on here and I found your post, um, for mother's day when you were writing about your mom and what an eloquent writer you are, first of all. Oh, thank you so much. Writer. Yeah. It was oh, really I really cool. appreciate that. Yeah, it was really well written. I was like, do you have like, are you a ghostwriter for somebody? Like, look at you go. It was really poetic. 
Well, it's something I've always had a passion towards, like creative writing and writing short stories and stuff like that is something I really love to do. And I just don't give myself an opportunity to do so more. I like, I used to maintain a blog when I first left Canada and I was chasing this wrestling dream. I'm going to do this regularly. And I was pretty consistent with it for a while. Um, but yeah, you know how things go. It's just hard to maintain, but yeah, I, I would really love to jump back into that. And, you know, I, I definitely have a, maybe a 10 year plan is to, to write the next great American novel by a Canadian. Maybe one day I could, yes, I, but I love fiction. The new Douglas so, Copeland. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, maybe one day I could put more um, energy into that, but I appreciate you saying so. Yeah. And I mean, it, it just gave me like a little bit of insight into more of like who you are, but also it made me look at you not knowing your mother, but as your mother's son. I mean, somebody that, you know, you talk about her being a feminist and you talk about her being very into the earth and being a little bit of a hippie and just like being such a great mom. How much of that are things that you've already noticed yourself kind of leaning into with your daughter and with your mom being such a feminist? You said the way that she raised your sister and whatnot. Like how much of that do you think you feel in raising a daughter now yourself? If I can do half the job that she did as a mom raising Janie, then I, I've done an amazing job. She would always say, you know, there's no love like a parent's love. And like, I get that now. <laughs> yeah. Or like, you know, people would say uh, the feeling is indescribable when you have a, a child and you look into her eyes for the first time. But it's so true. It's so cliche, but it's so true. And, you know, I'm just I'm excited to watch her grow up and uh, for her to become this amazing, independent, strong, badass woman. And, uh, just to support her all the way. And, uh, I'm really, ex- I'm just excited to like interact with her finally. At this point it's just like drooling and eating and, you know, <laughs> and that, but like, I can't wait to, to the point where I can hear her laugh or something like that, you yes. know? Uh, so it's, it's, it just started, I've got 18 years left. So <laughs> a lot longer, obviously, but I know, no, it is honestly like back into like the cliches and everyone's like, it goes by so fast and enjoy these moments. Like the fact that Nora's already, she's just about eight months. She just, her first tooth started to come through. It's like, oh my God, who are you? She's pulling herself up and she's gonna be walking before we know it. I feel like I just had her. It's nuts, but it's really such a, such a cool experience. So I'm excited for you guys. And also I've noticed, um, also based off of your Instagram post, that you are putting her on the path of success from a musical standpoint. You've been playing some good music for her. What are your go-tos right now? Because the ones that you listed have been aces. So I've got a bit of a a vinyl collection that I've amassed over a few years. It's it's amazing, but that's made such a great comeback. I love it. Uh, I'm really proud of my Bowie collection. So I'm kind of playing her some some David Bowie. I, I love David Bowie. Are you a Labyrinth guy? Did you like Labyrinth? You know, it was kind of a little before my time. You're not that much younger than me, first of all, <laughs> but okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I, I appreciate it more now than I did growing up. Okay. Like, my mom played Bowie all the time. My dad played tons of, like, psychedelic rock. Like, I got a ton of Pink Floyd albums that I'll play for her. The Mighty Led Zeppelin. Like, she's going to get that whole sort of experience. And then I'm sure once she's old enough to have her own opinion, she's going to say, this sucks, Dad. Come on, put on, like, whatever the hot hits are of 2035. But... You are giving her like a good foundation that she will still be able to come back to when she can appreciate it. Even if she turns her back on it for a minute, the foundation has been set. You're doing right. Or maybe like her boyfriend one day, but like, your dad's really cool. He's listening to cool music. And then she'll be like, oh yeah, my dad is cool. <laughs> yes, exactly. Those are the guys that uh, we need daughters to bring home. The ones that can make us feel cool again. Please. 
Yeah, please, exactly. please, please. Hey guys, if you're here listening to the sessions, thank you. Hello, hi, and. You love some combat sports? Well, be sure to check out Boxing with Chris Mannix. It's every Friday as he talks with the biggest names in boxing, UFC, and yes, even the occasional wrestling superstar. Chris is one of the most passionate and influential voices in the sport, and he's here every week to help you get smarter on all things boxing. He'll also help you win some money on FanDuel with his weekly betting segment where he breaks down the best bets for all the big fights. Download Boxing with Chris Mannix only here on the Volume Podcast Network. So back onto the like the wrestling side of things. Can you believe that this is life right now? That things have gone the way that they have? I mean, when I was like, you know, I always kind of keep like my finger on the pulse of what's going on professional wrestling. I was like, wait. Kyle O'Reilly's contract is just coming up. Johnny Gargano's contract is just up. Adam Cole, like, it's wild. How did this happen? When we were renegotiating, the powers that be were like, listen, this doesn't typically happen. Usually we we re-sign guys six months out. But talent relations at the time, I guess, let things slip or weren't as into re-upping NXT guys' contracts is the only explanation I could give. I really don't know. but. I thought I had at least maybe six months to a year left. It was a real surprise to me knowing that it was coming up in December. A pleasant surprise, you know, just with the the landscape and everything. Like it was was really kind of a blessing that I was given the opportunity to make my own decision. Like I could stay, I can go. It wasn't made up for me. Do you know what I mean? Like like I feel for people who get released and everything, and that happens way more than it, it should. It's awful. I was just grateful that I was, you know, in a position to where I can kind of look at the landscape and see what opportunities were out there. And luckily for me, um, AEW found a place and I was able to to jump ship as it were. It is really cool because it's like, I mean, you look at your time at NXT and I mean, you really got to do it all. And for you to be able to leave on your own terms, and I, I'm sure you left uh, in, in good graces and whatnot, that now for you to be able to go and be like, hey, cool, I did all of the things there. Now let's pivot. Let's go over here and do this thing with all of your buddies. It's nuts. That was a huge selling point too. Like the AEW locker room is full of the guys that I came up with in this business that I've been friends with for years. And there was a lot of that in NXT too, but it seemed like every couple of weeks you'd look around at the locker room just getting decimated. And it's like, that is just not a very good environment, I guess, at that time. And um, I just wanted to go follow my heart and go where I'm going to be happy and go where I'm going to be utilized. Like I felt... To stay with WWE, was it was going to be to stay with NXT. And I was like, okay, well, at this point, after four and a half years, you don't really have a spot for Kyle O'Reilly on the main roster. I got the vibe that there wasn't going to be a spot for me up there. I feel like I keep having these conversations, and it's with guys like you, with guys like Adam Cole, like these guys that are those tippy-top. These are the guys that you've all been investing your time in to put the company on the shoulders of, and yet there's no space for them what like it's it's just odd yeah it's just different philosophies i guess different you know different directions and different ideas and doesn't mean that one way is better than the other or well, one idea I mean, is going to make more money than the yeah. other it's just that's just how business right. goes no you're right i'm just so diplomatic about all this <laughs> stuff and you know, i just want everybody to do well and i want there to be jobs in wrestling like 
there's such a huge wrestling boom right now from independents to national companies to whoever knows what's going to pop up next. I'm sure there'll be something great. And so it's just cool to see all the guys and girls that love this business have an opportunity to get paid, whether it's at that top level or at a lower level. Yeah, I was actually talking about this earlier today. I'm like, man, there is so much talent that are free agents right now or just amongst all of the other promotions and whatnot that like legit another promotion could like pop up. Imagine Hunter just says, screw this. And he just goes and does his own thing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. And it's crazy because it's not outside the realm of possibilities. I know. Like I wouldn't be surprised. We live in a world where Shane McMahon's getting released. I mean, everything's possible, right? It's, uh, it's is that all, legit? I don't know. I, I feel like the phrasing on that is probably not legit. I'm sure he's still, I don't know, he must be doing something within the company. Maybe just not on the talent side. Like you're not allowed at Thanksgiving anymore either? <laughs> like- <laughs> well, you know what? Who knows? Who knows over there what's going on? It's crazy. Um, okay, so what were the conversations that you were having while you were still at NXT, figuring out what you were going to do to make this move over to AEW? Everybody was really supportive. At the time, Hunter had, was off with his health issues, so I hadn't had a chance to really see or talk with him. Um, but Sean had been super supportive in just, you know, you got to go where your heart leads you. And they understand that. And I think they could tell, too, like, as much as we want you here, Kyle, we also want you to be successful. And Kyle O'Reilly as a character on NXT might not be super successful right now. Um, and that's cool. I mean, I'm happy to, to help guys grow. And, and I just wasn't ready at the point in my career where I was going to be a, a glorified coach, you know, where I was going to be just training people. And I'm sure I would still had a spot on TV to some degree. But, you know, I wanted to go where the getting was good. And AEW definitely has a lot of guys that I'd really love to work with and a lot of tag teams love and my tag partner is in AEW for one (laughs) and Adam Cole is there for one one of my best friends how cool was that for you to like have that happen on TV the way that it did oh so cool and like they they played our old theme song from Ring of Honor in New Japan so it was really cool too and that's kind of gave me like okay well there's definitely got to be a spot for me there if they're having Bobby come out to this song and they're talking about his tag teams past and uh so you know i figured maybe there was a shot there wait you had not even had conversations yet while this was sort of the narrative on television already no i I hadn't which is pretty wild like a deal didn't really get figured out until like the day before my debut either so it's just crazy how fast things kind of happen in this business right you know, I, I do most of my um, deep research on wikipedia.org. And while I'm on there, I'm like, just, you know, you go, I mean, especially like somebody's like wrestling Wikipedia is like, they were here and here and this tag team and da 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 and this promotion and blah, blah, blah. You have worked with everybody. Yeah, I've had a lot of tag partners. Who do you still want to work with? I mean, when you're looking at the roster of AEW and whether it's guys you have already worked with and you want to work with maybe this newer version of them or guys that you've not been able to tangle it up with. I broke in in 2005 and at the time, Brian Danielson was the Ring of Honor champion and was just on this legendary run. And he was coming up to BC to work quite a bit because he was still living in Washington at the time. And so I got to, you know, chat with him and train with him a little bit here and there, but I never had a chance to wrestle Brian. And he's a guy that I've literally wanted to wrestle my entire career. And we've sort of been like ships passing in the night, like every, you know, once I kind of leveled up to go to that next phase of my career, he was moving on to the next phase of his career. Not to say that I left NXT 
to hopefully wrestle Brian Danielson, but you know, you got to go where the getting's good. And I felt there was <laughs> yeah. a chance. Maybe I could work this guy one day. Like it's so not like, I don't want to get too much into this conversation. Like it's kind of a private conversation that I had with Regal before leaving NXT. And I'd mentioned this to him. Like, I don't want to seem like that guy that just wants to go somewhere to wrestle a guy, but he was like, no, I get it. Like when I left Britain, I just wanted to wrestle Ric Flair. I was like, really? Like, that's why you came to America? Yeah, but he was in WWF at the time, and I came to WCW, and then he came over to WCW, and I got to wrestle Ric Flair. I was like, oh, that's wild. Like, that's <laughs> such a cool little story. I hope he doesn't mind me sharing that is uh, cool. on the sessions. But, you know, so I, I really hope that I get a chance to wrestle Brian. And, uh, you know, there's a ton of young talent there that I think my style would mesh with really well. You know, a guy like um, Daniel Garcia and Lee Moriarty, like these guys that have a similar philosophy as myself in the way they like to present their style of wrestling. And, uh, I think that's really cool. And that's what's so cool about AEW. There is such a, a wealth of talent and a wealth of different styles. I'm so excited to get back in there. And whether it's tag or singles, just to tear it up and, and do what I think I do best. And that's just shut up and wrestle. And you do realize that there is something to be said for dad strength playing a role upon your return. Oh, I'm going to be so strong and like have a spider <laughs> sense. Like anytime someone's going to trip or fall, I'm going to like dive to save them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm on uh, it. <laughs> I'm supposed to let you hit the ground. Damn. <laughs> Is there anything to your own style that you want to change or evolve or kind of enhance upon now in AEW? I don't know. I've always just been wanting to make just wrestling as realistic and believable as possible. And I know in 2021, that's a lot harder and harder to do. The cat's out of the bag. People know it's not real. I know, real. right? <laughs> hey, fake, brother. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> I want people to watch my matches and just to say, like, and that was a good fight. Like, it's hard to tell if those dudes really hate each other or if they're really going to town. And yeah, I just really love to wrestle. Who are some of your guys? Who did you, like, grow up on just loving? I mean, I grew up absolutely loving that guy right here is Mr. Uh, Bret Hart. There he is. I mean, as a Canadian boy, how couldn't you, right? Right. How could you not love the guy? Did you ever go through the dungeon? No, I didn't have the pleasure. Do you remember when Bret was on that like Canadian wide tour of Aladdin where he played the genie (laughs) on the stage presentation? Yeah. I went to see the show once, I think maybe like right in grade 12 or something. I was like, I'm going to just say hi to him after the show or wait for him to leave or whatever. You know, there's a bunch of wrestling fans getting stuff signed and stuff. And I want to be cool, you know, to know that I just respected the business. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. So, uh, hi, Mr. Hart. I just want to let you know, I just, I really love, you know, those matches you had with Davey boy. He just looks off in the distance. Yeah. I was the best. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Live with the gimmick, brother. I love it. Uh, Brett's the best. Oh, my God. It is really funny when you think of those moments, like when um, and I hear these stories often when you're like not in the business, but you're like kind of you're thinking about it and you have those moments. And you're like, how do I like play it cool so that they know I'm not just one of these like Mark fans? I like know what I'm talking about. Exactly. That was exactly <laughs> it. <laughs> so funny. So, yes, of course, as a Canadian, you have to grow up loving Bret Hart. Um, who, who else is on that list for you? Who's like your, um, your Mount Rushmore? I mean, I loved Hulk Hogan. Like my first memory associated with wrestling was at like the video store and there was a poster of Hogan tearing his shirt off. And I would like go home and put plastic Safeway bags on my shoulders and rip them. Because that's the only way he could rip his shirt if it was made out of plastic, right? Like it's the way it ripped, just looked like a plastic shirt. So he was a huge <laughs> influence to me. 
The Undertaker's up there because he was one of those characters that just really made me believe. I mean, it wasn't believable at all, any of the stuff that he was doing. But like as a kid, when the whole Undertaker killed your brother thing was going on with Kane, I was hook, oh line, and sinker. Like that was, he know. had superpowers. He could make lightning hit the cameraman. And then uh, who else would I put up there? I mean, I love Japanese wrestling. That's been a huge influence on me. So I'll say Toshiaki Kawada is a huge influence of mine. Just a guy that just sells his ass off. I mean, there's always that adage of, oh, nobody sells anything in Japan. These guys sell harder than anyone. And like, it's just because it's subtle and it's believable. And he would just put so much into his mannerisms and then selling. And, and, I'll, and I'll give honorable mention to Terry Funk because he's another guy. I think his selling is just so funny and comedic, but not at the expense of being serious or believable. And uh, I just love everything about that guy and his legacy. FanDuel Sportsbook is an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56, baby. Now to celebrate, new customers... Uh, you can bet five bucks to win 280 bucks in cash on either team to win when you use the promo code Renee, that's R-E-N-E-E, when you're registering. That's right. Hear me. You're going to get winnings in cold, hard cash because we know that cash is always better than free bets. So what am I looking for for the Super Bowl? You better believe that I'm putting my money on the Bengals. These are my guys as a new Cincinnati resident. I am leaning hard into the Bengals. Joe Burrow, Joe Cool, this guy is going to get it done. I just feel like momentum is on their side. I feel like they're going into this as the underdogs and they're going to shock the world. Also, can we give a little shout out to McPherson for being the most clutch kicker in all of football? Man, making the city proud. Bengals are going to get this done because you're in the jungle. Also, FanDuel Sportsbook is now live in Louisiana. Okay. Listen, New Orleans, one of my favorite cities in the whole world. I'll come down there and I will play and I will party. Let's do this. Um, You know, there's just really no better place to bet Super Bowl 56 than right on FanDuel Sportsbook. There's tons of promotions for new and existing customers. They've got same-game parlays where you can combine small bets for bigger wins tons of Super Bowl props, and plenty, plenty more. So don't miss your chance to turn 5 bucks into 280 bucks in cash. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and use the promo code Renee to make every moment more this Super Bowl. Again, use the promo code R-E-N-E-E exclusively on FanDuel Sportsbook. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. New users only. $10 first deposit required. Must wager in designated offer market. Maximum bonus $280. Bonus for Tennessee users fulfilled in site credit within 72 hours. Tennessee's site credit expires 14 days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777. Or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG for Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY, which is 467-369 for New York. Tennessee Redline, one 800 889 9789 for Tennessee. Or visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. I'm going to take things back to just like you growing up in BC, young sweet boy. You kind of did everything. You played hockey, you played rugby, you were into like different mixed martial arts. Tell me about all of the sports that you were playing and like what you gravitated towards. 
as a kid in high school, I played all the sports, you know, I did the rugby, football, lacrosse, hockey, all that. You know, I was in the drama club too. I went out for the school plays and the school musicals and it found this love for the theater. You can do musicals? This is a scoop that I don't think anybody else <laughs> knows about me. And it's probably going to be all online after okay. this. But so my grade 10 production of Grease, I played Danny Zuko. Oh my gosh. It's a, kind of a funny story behind it. This girl that I had a crush on at the time, she had an amazing voice and she was like the front runner to play Sandy. And in my mind, I'm like, what a perfect icebreaker. If I went out, I got the role of Danny. I mean, I'm in. I mean, there's literally films made about this of like, well, I got to be in the play so that I can hook up with the girl that I like. I know. <laughs> I was such a hopeless romantic too. And I like, I went and like for my audition song, I sang the Mr. Burns cover of Be Our Guest, See My Vest. <laughs> But I'm not a good like singer. my loafers, former gophers. <laughs> it was that skin my chauffeurs, but a greyhound for tuxedo would be best. Okay. Oh my God. That, what a weird choice. That's so funny. Just because it's the only song I had like memorized that I could, couldn't butcher. You can't butcher that song. It's so easy. So lo and behold, I get the part and okay. So like now I'm actually really putting myself out there. You know, I'm going to be in a play where I'm singing and um, in the, theater version of Grease, uh, Grease Lightning is a Kinnicky number. So I didn't get to sing the cool song. I was so pissed. Did you get to wear leather pants at least? Did you get to wear like the outfits? Oh, I had the outfit, the hair. What happened with the girl? Yeah, she dumped my ass going into <laughs> our senior year. Great job. Broke my heart. Oh, oh my it was, God. It, was, it hurt real bad. But it all worked out for the best. And of course, I became a pro wrestler because theater and being an athlete in sports, I mean, it's, it's those world's mesh together. That's what pro wrestling is. It's four-sided theater with ropes, essentially. I just found a total respect and love for performing and, and the whole art form of it all and the, and the performing arts. And I had an amazing drama teacher and my sister was into all that stuff. And she really inspired me to chase that as well. And just not, and not to have any shame because as a kid, like you're on the sports teams or oh, you're going into the play. <laughs> Look at this guy's in the play. Hell yeah, I'm in the play. I loved it. I always kind of drew that comparison as well because I sort of roundaboutly, like through happenstance, wound up in professional wrestling. But like I had studied acting and I was doing acting classes and taking voice lessons and all of those things. Like that's what I was so drawn to. But I also played a ton of sports growing up. And then I was working for a sports network and I'm talking sports. So then when I wound up in WWE, I was like, it's all the things that I love all under one roof. And it's, yeah, it's, it's crazy how like... You don't think, like at the time, I would have never thought that all of those paths would have led me to this one thing. But then lo and behold, it all just kind of sinks up in one place. It's so cool. When NXT got its TV deal, there was something that Hunter said that I loved when he compared NXT to the main roster. And he said NXT was like the Broadway show. It's where the real performers get out there. They got the chops. They can act. They can sing. They can dance. They can do it all. And there's no special effects. There's no big budget blockbuster movie special effects that's hiding it all like a Raw or SmackDown would be. I just thought that was such a great analogy and really rang true. I remember Hunter saying something like that before, like reading something about that and hearing that analogy. And I, I thought that that was a really cool uh, idea as well. And I, I really do think like that that's what Hunter was really trying to achieve with NXT. And it does, it, it's sad to see that uh, go away because I, I do really feel like he was onto something with that. And there really was a heartbeat to what NXT was. Absolutely. With you having this like musical theater background and this like big, fun personality, you're so serious as like Kyle O'Reilly. Do you feel like there's ever that part of 
this version of you that wants to like bust out? I think there's a little bit of it um, that kind of would pop out in situations where I'm comfortable, I guess. Like when, when the Undisputed Era was just this gang of douchey frat boys where I could kind of throw myself out there and be that kind of goofy kind of guy. But I guess we all have anxieties and confidence issues. And so much of wrestling is just yourself dialed up to 11. And it's, I guess, still hard for me to really to be Kyle O'Reilly, Kyle Greenwood, even if it is an elevated version of him. Whereas, you know, if like I was a Danny Zuko, I'm just playing a character so I can just go all in on this guy and, and just make it as fun as possible, right? Yeah, maybe, I guess. I'm still trying to find that balance. Like so much of wrestling is throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. I still don't think I found the formula of what this finished product of Kyle O'Reilly is going to be. Forever is going to be a work in progress. Of course. And I mean, you still have, like, you've got so much of your career still ahead of you. And it's fun to think of what those moments of discovery are going to be, or like what these evolutions of what Kyle O'Reilly are going to be. And that that's still ahead of you. Within the AEW landscape, within like the tag division, what do you want to do in there? The Young Bucks are a team that Bobby and I have fought literally all over the world. Um, and it's been a few years since that's happened. So that, of course, is going to happen. Uh, the Lucha Bros. FTR is another rematch. I mean, we did one in NXT that we really had great chemistry with those guys. And again, in the same vein, similar philosophies and, and similar styles, just a hard-hitting, vigorous wrestling style, I guess. Um, you would love to take that match back. There's so many great tag teams there. There really is. Who knows? Are Brian and Mox going to be a tag team now? We Please. don't know. I was watching and I was like, wait, is this happening? Because I like this a lot. I like it too. It seems like it's really going to fit well. So that's a mat. That's a dream match right there as well. Back to my um, Wikipedia research. It says that you were billed from Cape Breton, Nova Scotia. When, when were you billed from Cape Breton? And what is your tie to Cape Breton? My wrestling trainer, Michelle Starr, was like, all right, we need names. Because it was like the day before, our, maybe a day or a week before our debut uh, show, which is going to be a battle royal. You know, we need you guys to have names. You can't just be Kyle Greenwood from Vancouver, BC, you know? So I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess that idea is. <laughs> <laughs> so gonna... That's what I was bringing to the table. All right. So O'Reilly is a, um, it's a family name. It's like my mom's granny's, granny's maiden name. So a few generations back, it's in, it's in the line. And um, Cape Breton, I don't know why. I think I maybe read a book and the main character was from Cape Breton. And I just thought it had a cool name. Uh, I've never even been to Nova Scotia. You haven't? Oh, my gosh. No, I know. What's the farthest east you've gone in Canada? Uh, Toronto. I haven't even been to Quebec. How have you never wrestled in Quebec? Well, there was a time, like when I finally made it as an up-and-coming sort of name on the independence. I was living illegally in the States and I was not going to risk crossing the border because it was just going to get some jerk having a bad day to Google my name and ban me for five years. So I'm, you know, I'm just going to stay here until things work out. How scary is that? How scary are those moments of like, just let me slide under the radar. I'm just trying to work and trying to, and it's, it's rough because when you're in Canada, it's, I, it's funny. I always feel like I want to have these conversations because I don't feel like people understand the difficulties of being like, even though it's just Canada, it's really difficult to try to work in the United States when you don't have your proper visa and trying to get an O-1 visa as like the entertainer's visa. It's like, oh my God, it's crazy. I got denied an O visa. I got denied a P visa, like just repeatedly trying, throwing 
so much money at it, just getting denied, denied, denied. And like eventually just came to a point where I just can't risk it. I would go maybe see some family or spend a couple months. I would go back home and, and work for a few months just to make some money so I could afford to fund this dream. It's so expensive. Back home, it's so expensive, right? It's all so expensive. Well, first of all, back home is so expensive and it's like, even worse right now. Like, oh my God, my mom keeps telling me like the prices of things and it's wild. But even just like getting the visas and stuff, because I remember being in a situation like that too when I was in Toronto and I was like, okay, I just want to like go work in the States. And I had moved to the States illegally as well. And I was like, hey, you can stay for like whatever. It's like the six months and you've got to go back to Canada and then you can cross the border again, like trying to do that for a while. But when you're doing that illegally, yeah, you're always kind of waiting for that other shoe to drop. Am I going to get in trouble for this? How can I stay afloat? But I had tried to get an O-1 visa and it got denied. And I did not have the $5,000 to pay for that at the time. So when it's just like on my credit card, I'm like racking up this debt. And it's like, oh my God. It's so brutal. It's like, just throw me a bone universe. But then you think about all the times where the universe did throw me a bone and all the times that I did make it through the border no problem and did get like a, a lucky break here and there. Like it really felt like the universe was doing everything it could to make this happen for me as well. As, as many difficulties and, and obstacles are in the way, like anytime you go home is just the anxiety building up. Like you knew you were going back to the States on October 4th, just build, build, build. Oh, okay. Well, I'm gonna have to cross the board. Like it's unnecessary fear for a kid just chasing his dream. It's giving me anxiety thinking about it. I'm like, oh God, I'm so glad those days are behind me. Oh my gosh. I know, I know. And someone actually wanted to ask you about, should I get a citizenship? My daughter's American. Like, I just don't want to get rid of my Canadian passport. No, I agree. That's like document gold, you know? You have to? No, you don't have to. Oh, you don't have to. No, so what happens, and I think this is fine to talk about anyway, so you go in. I'm glad that I did my citizenship because... Uh, yeah, it's like doing all the paperwork. My, my daughter is American. My husband is American. Is your wife American? That's how I'm here now. Green card, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, it's funny. I actually got my green card just before John and I got married. But then I did my citizenship based on us being married. So once you've been married for three years, then you can apply for your citizenship. Or if it's just off the green card and off your work, it's five years. So I'm glad that I did it because, yeah, I'm like, I'm just sick of doing the paperwork and that anxiety of like, oh, my God, I've got to apply for my visa again or I've got to apply for this thing X, Y, Z. So anyways, you go in to do it and you like denounce your Canadian citizenship, like you verbalize that, but you don't have to get rid of your Canadian citizenship or anything because when you are born a Canadian, they will always recognize you as a Canadian citizen. Like I totally want to become a citizen, like to vote and stuff. That's important. And my daughter is American. Like that's, I would hate to be deported for whatever reason, but to have like the lifeline of if shit really hits the fan, we can pick up and go to Canada, then that's a nice luxury as well. No, like honestly, and the like for the from the voting aspect, definitely in the last like you know four to eight years has been like, man, I feel so helpless, just kind of sitting here. There's nothing I can do but you know talk a little shit internally because you can't really say anything. I'm not. I wasn't a citizen at the time. But yeah, having that like fallback plan of like, well, I mean, if we need to run back up to Canada, like especially when all the COVID stuff happened, there was definitely a time where I was like. Man, what I would give to just, can we just move to Banff and call it a day? Like, get me out to that fresh air, a little Lake Louise action. I'm done. Canada is so expensive, though. Holy shit. It's obscene. My brother and my sister came for Christmas, and they hadn't been to Florida yet since we'd lived here. And they were just, their minds are blown in the grocery store. Like, what? This costs 
a hundred bucks. It's been like 500 bucks in Canada. It was like two for one on beer. I've never in my life seen two for one on beer. <laughs> like, what, are you kidding? <laughs> We're giving it away. We're giving it all away. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty wild. What was life like for you growing up in Vancouver, British Columbia? Because as much as I'm a Torontonian, Vancouver is the most beautiful part of Canada. It's stunning. It is really beautiful. Just to be that old growth, great Pacific rainforest is just so amazing. And the mountains are there, like, and then you have this urban environment of the city right next to it attached, like growing up, lots of camping trips, fishing, snowboarding, that stuff. And it's just all part of your backyard. Like it's within a couple hour drive. Okay. So you grew up in the Pacific Northwest. I know that uh, also in the, the thing that I had read that you wrote for Mother's Day, talking about your mom, talking about her taking you to Seattle for WrestleMania. What was that like? Who was on that card? Do you remember? Angle Lesnar was the main event. It was Hogan versus McMahon, 20 years in the making with the return of Rowdy Roddy Piper. Uh, and then Sean versus Jericho on that card, which is one of the best live matches I've ever seen in my life. But just the experience WrestleMania as a 15-year-old for the first time going to a big event in a different city. And my mom, she took me and my buddy Sean and Buzz down and dropped us off and then went to the casino <laughs> and killed a few hours. <laughs> <laughs> And then we met it back up with her, but it was just such a, an amazing, profoundly just influential, you know, like it was just one of those, everybody has that moment where they know they want to be a pro wrestler. And I'd had that moment long before that, but it was just like, just the spectacle of it all. I can just close my eyes and, and remember everything about it. At what point did becoming a professional wrestler start to feel like a reality? Not even just like this, like hoop dream, but like, oh shit, I'm actually going to be able to go and do this. Right out of high school, I joined a local wrestling school. And my friend Sean and I, we'd been like best wrestling friends for the longest time. Like, from he lived like two towns over and we played on the same football team. So we became friends, but like totally different kids and different groups of friends and everything. But the one thing we had a shared interest in was wrestling. And my parents and his parents totally fostered that and like encouraged that and always drove us, no matter how long it took to get to each other's houses, they would take us there so we could hang out and be wrestling buds. And we joined wrestling school together and I felt like like a fish to water. Like I, as soon as I got in that ring, I just felt natural. And like just the rolling and the bumping just came to me so well. And, you know, I was still green as grass. Don't get me wrong. But I don't know. It just felt right. And even if I never made a dime in wrestling and if I was still doing independent shows once a month, I would still be doing it with all of my heart and soul because that's really where, you know, my passion does lie. And uh, I'm just, I'm fortunate that it did work out. I am making a living now, but I think people in wrestling are really rare in the sense that like, you really, really have to love it. And I think that might be an underlying problem in this new NXT. Like there's a lot of people coming in that I don't think really have that true love for it. And I'm sure they'll do well and they'll make a big splash and be a big star and make a ton of money. But like at the end of the day, if your heart isn't really in it, like, I don't know, it's tough. It always kind of pops in my mind when I'm like talking about stuff like this, like talking about like what this NXT 2.0 is, but like that line of like, we don't want to hire indie wrestlers anymore was just like, what? We don't want pro wrestlers was something I heard. And I was like, okay, well, I am a pro wrestler and I want to be a pro wrestler still. So I'm going to go where I can be a pro wrestler. And I know the, the things are the same, sports entertainment, wrestling, it's all the same, whatever. But I don't know if everyone looks at it that way. I mean, whatever, to each their own. The good thing is there's all the different platforms, all the different promotions. So if they want to go do their thing, you can do your thing. Everyone has their lane to stay in and uh, and hopefully thrive within that. Um, what have been some of the conversations that you've had with, with Tony Khan since being at AEW? You can tell 
that he really, really cares about this. And for a guy that has so much going on with AEW, with the Jaguars, with uh, Fulham, like the guy is working so much. And for him to still give me the time of day and to really like genuinely look me in the eyes and give me like a straight up answer and to be enthused about me and my family growing like and to him to really genuinely care about that like that's it's pretty special when you have a boss like that you want to go to war for them so i'm very motivated to to get back in there and to really like i've only had one match since being there so i feel like i haven't even scratched the surface and showing him you know what i can bring to the table so i look forward to to showing him that he made the right call and bringing me over yeah, it's very exciting to like imagine you like getting back there and now like really getting into the mix because yeah, it was like the excitement of like, oh shit, Kyle O'Reilly's here. Amazing. And then, you know, you got to step in and, and do dad mode and, and be there with your wife and your baby. I know people are going to be very, very excited to, to see what you bring to the table and see what some of these matches are um, that we can get out of you. I want to talk about the diabetes stuff a little bit. So when did you first get diagnosed with diabetes? like less than a year into wrestling. I was 18. Like it just started having matches and um, I was trying to get licensed for Washington state because they had an athletic commission that you needed blood work for and everything. And something was definitely up for a while. Like I was really sick and I'd lost a ton of weight and like there just wasn't enough water in the world to satiate my thirst. We knew something was really up, just, you know, pleading ignorance and just if, if I ignore the problem, I'm sure it'll go away. And then lo and behold, they diagnosed me on the spot blood sugar levels were through the roof. And, um, you know, they're, they're towing that line, the doctor's line, like this wrestling thing, you got to stop and whatever, whatever. But yeah, it's just something that I have to adapt with. And I, you know, I just took it in stride and okay, this is my new life. This is everything that I have to do to stay healthy and to stay on top of my health. And in the end, it's kind of made me more accountable for my own health. And um, don't get me wrong. It's a brutal physical and mental grind that never ends. Like each day it's constant. Like I'm making decisions on my medication that literally could mean life or death in one moment, you know? What's the difference between type one and type two? Type one is essentially my pancreas just completely shuts down. It's an autoimmune disease and I produce zero insulin. Type two is more your great aunt's diabetes where she doesn't take care of herself and she doesn't have the best diet. And she's gained a lot of weight. And so her pancreas is kind of hanging on. So she takes a pill and then she can keep having her soda pops and everything's okay. You have to take the needle, yeah? Yeah. Type 1 is is constant insulin injections. And the insulin I use, it's like with every meal I take insulin. I have a CGM on my arm, which is amazing technology that I've just had since going on two years, which has changed my life. Like I can look at my phone and in real time see which direction my blood sugar is trending in which is a luxury I never had before. Like I would have to finger prick my finger and test my blood manually like eight times a day. And it's just, it's just, it's brutal. It's a brutal grind. But what I, what I mean by the medicinal life or death decision is like insulin comes in, in units, right? So if I take, say, if I have a banana, I probably need two or three units of insulin, but say if I took three units of insulin, but only ate half that banana, then I might end up in a coma and I might not pull through. And it's kind of scary. And I've had a couple of close calls, um, but, you know, you stay on top of these things. And uh, I'm just grateful that I have a support system and I get to do what I do for a living. How does it affect you as an athlete? The traveling athlete makes it more difficult because you're in different time zones and your body is thrown off and you don't know where exactly the next meal is going to come from or if it's going to be healthy enough. And um and stress and anxiety uh, plays a huge role as well. Like, and in this business, there's no shortage of that. 
the cortisol levels and the stress hormone that gets released, like my insulin doesn't really work as well. So on days where like I have a lot going on, it's like a TV day. My blood sugar just runs high, but I'd rather it run high and kind of just be. How do you feel when it runs high? Does that make you shaky? It certainly can. If it's too high, it makes you really exhausted. It makes you really thirsty. It makes you tired and lethargic. But like if it runs high, you can kind of get by. You can let it run high and it's not going to kill you immediately. Whereas if it goes drops too low, like your brain runs on glucose, right? So if your body, there's no glucose in your blood, that brain's going to shut off and that's when it gets really scary. So on show days, I just let it run a little high and I'm not too worried about it. I run high. Insulin doesn't work super great anyways on those days. And then as soon as my match is done, it's like clockwork. Like suddenly my insulin works and my blood sugar starts coming down and then it levels out. And it's totally fine. But on, on when I'm wrestling, I just rather run high and not risk letting it go low because then it can get really scary and dangerous. What is your diet like now? Or what's like your, what are your go-tos? What does your diet look like? I kind of just eat to manage my glucose and just eat as healthy as I can. I don't really like, or make things too strict. You know, I want to enjoy life as well. And I love eating. And I love cooking. And I love food. So I, I treat myself certainly. But yeah, as long as I can just take the right amount of insulin and I, I know kind of what's in there, I can get by. You used to be a cook, right? At a restaurant? Is yeah. this true? What Have rest- you ever eaten at Earl's? I love Earl's. I worked at Earl's for like basically that whole period uh, of starting wrestling until leaving the States. And then when I would come back home and they would keep my old job for me at Earl's. So I learned so much about the kitchen and, and cooking. So many life skills that I maintained to this day from working there. I'm, I'm grateful for having that experience started as a, you know, a dishwasher and moved my way up. to Everyone everything. should work in the service industry in some capacity. Absolutely. And they don't get enough credit. You don't because it is such a difficult job. It's really, and you don't get enough credit and it, you're working late nights and early mornings and it's a tough, thankless job, but man, I loved it. And I really got a lot out of working there. And now I'm just obsessed with, um, cooking and and the presentation is where it's at. Listen, I know you got to get it. You can't be a (laughs) slouch. If you're putting in the effort in the kitchen, let's make it look nice. Let's make the presentation worthwhile. You got it. My wife's always like, oh, is it ready? Like, hang on, (laughs) let me plate it, please. Like, yeah, I like got to make the mashed potato mountain. And then you put the slant cut green onions on top. Oh, it's not pointing out. Gonna, uh. So yeah, I'm obsessed with the, the presentation and all the culinary shows. I I love like oh the chop God. and the beat Bobby Flay's. Beat Bobby Flay, I'm obsessed with. I can't believe there's like 36 seasons of that show, but I love that show so much. If you were to go on Beat Bobby Flay, what would be your go-to meal that he's got to try to beat you at? I make a pretty good like Korean bibimbap bowl. Like a nice marinated bulgogi and like a bunch of fresh veg and stuff. And like that's where presentation really comes into play on one of those guys. Lots of colors. Yeah. And if you get like a nice cut of steak and it just melts in your mouth and you get enough time to marinate it, it's really good. Uh, But yeah, I'd love to uh, actually check out your cookbook. I'll send one with John to TV for when you're back at TV. I'll I'll send one your way. Definitely. Um, Because yeah, you got to check out my playlists that are on there too. I feel like you would appreciate my playlists that come with it. Yes, definitely. Um, Okay, so Valentine's Day is just around the corner. You mentioned that you are um, a bit of a hopeless romantic. What's your plans? Because you not only have to treat your wife, but she is now a new mom and her body's probably torn up. I've been there, girlfriend. I know what she's going through. What's your plan? 
growing up, my Valentine's Day was my dad's birthday. So we never really celebrated Valentine's Day. It was always just dad's birthday. And every year, my mom would make him like a heart-shaped chocolate cake. It was just the sweetest thing. Oh, that's so cute. I might make her like a little cake or something. But I got, um, I kind of celebrated a little early. I got her the January birthstone is the garnet for Janie, obviously. And I got her a really cute little ring um, with a garnet on it and like some sapphires and stuff. And it's for, it's for Erica. But when Janie's 18 and graduates high school, she can give it to her. He's thought ahead, you guys. <laughs> He's already thought far ahead. And I love things like that because I am all about a good keepsake like that as well. I love when things can be passed down. I don't, and not in like a bougie way of like, I don't want like cheap jewelry. Trust me, I buy plenty of cheap jewelry, but I do like when it's a thing that can be passed along and there's like a story behind it. Oh my God, this is great. Like my mom had a, a ring with all our, my dad, hers, mine and my sister's birthstones on it. And she gave it to my wife when, you know, she passed away and stuff too. And so she has that. And then I got like a special one for, for our baby. And I love that. Yeah. So I assume it's going to be a one and done. I don't think we're, we're planning on having any more kids. Okay. Well, there you go. Well, we'll see. I mean, you can always add on if you need to. So who knows? I, I mean, I will say the babies, they get really cute and you're like, shit, should I do another one of these? Like, she came out pretty good. I don't know. I know. The the big decisions of life, right? Good decisions to be making, though. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> All right. Well, Kyle O'Reilly, it was an absolute pleasure talking to you. You are a gem of a human. Thank you so much. It was so great. Um, yeah. And can't wait to see you back on TV. Thank you, Kyle, for taking the time to hang out with me. I know it's definitely not easy to carve out an hour of your time when you've got a brand new baby. I think he said she was 17 days old when we recorded this. Uh, So, yeah, thanks for giving me that time. I know what that's like. Actually, thank you to your wife for uh, also giving me that time. Maybe she needed you to get out of the room or get out of the way and... She's doing her own thing for a second. Who knows? Uh, but anyways, thank you so much for, for coming to hang out with me. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that. Got to learn a little bit more about uh, Canada uh, and Canadians working in America and, um, you know, music, musical theater. Kyle's mom actually really enjoyed that part of the conversation, just talking about his mom and his relationship with her. And now, you know, the relationship he's going to be able to have with his daughter and what the values are that he is looking to instill in sweet Janie. I love that name. I I think it's adorable. Really, really love that. All right, guys, uh, if you want to see this interview, you know what to do. Head on over to my YouTube, like, subscribe, uh, rate it, leave some comments, all that fun shit check all that out and um hey it's super bowl week you guys let's go Bengals. who day are you guys done hearing me talk about the Bengals? It's, it's almost over it's almost over we're almost there all right guys this has been the sessions until next time peace